It's good to be with you and open God's Word this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you can begin opening to the book of Psalms. And we are kicking off this morning for the next five Sundays. We are going to be in a special series that I'm calling Five Marks of a Healthy Disciple of Jesus. And what we are going to do is use the two-edged sword of God's Word to look into our own hearts in a special way over these next several weeks and consider where is our relationship with the Lord and what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, as we consider what it means to be a a healthy disciple of Jesus, it really sort of breaks out into two immediate questions. The first and more obvious one should be this, uh, am I a disciple of Jesus in the first place? And by disciple of Jesus, maybe a more helpful term would be a follower of Jesus, that I have given my life to Jesus to, to follow him. Um, If you happen to be in the Seeing Jesus Together journal this week, maybe you saw on Friday we were in John 21, and John 21 is is a story about Peter uh, and Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter, follow me. After three years of being together, after Peter's ups and downs, his conversion to Christ, his following, his inevitable bad attitude and temper tantrums, even his denial and betrayal of Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 21 says to him, Peter, follow me. Me. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that through our inevitable ups and downs, that we have said, Jesus, be my Savior and my Lord, that I want to follow hard after you. Now, the second logical question, if we have answered the question, am I a disciple, would then logically be, uh, how is it going in my following of Jesus? We know that we are sinners saved by grace, and we know that there will be ups and downs, but what we want to do is consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. Where am I rejoicing and growing in him? Where am I struggling or even failing and need to press back into Jesus and his grace and mercy in my life? The way that we're going to do that is ask these five questions or five marks of what it means to be a healthy disciple. And these five questions really flow out of what we say at New City Church are the four strategies, the four ways that God has called us personally and as a church to to live. So these are up on the screen behind you, and we'll take one per week, but just so you kind of see where we're going, the questions are these. Worship. When do I worship throughout the day and the week? Grow. Where do I grow with others in biblical community? Serve. How am I serving and building up the church, the body of Christ? Reach. Who in my life and in my city needs to be reached with the gospel? And then a capstone sermon for us five weeks from now, generosity. What do my time, my talent, and my treasure reveal about my priorities? And behind those priorities, we will see our hearts. So today, we're going to begin with worship, and we're going to go to Psalm 34 in order to pursue God's heart for worship in our lives. Um, Psalm 34 came to me as a new-ish believer uh, as a sophomore in college, I had a crisis um, of sorts, and, and God brought Psalm 34 to me in that storm, in that crisis. Now, the crisis for me was this. I had fallen head over heels, we'll say in love, uh, infatuated with a, a young lady there at college, and unbeknownst to me, while she was dating me, she was also dating somebody else. And when I came to discover that reality, I was um, upset, perturbed, uh, to say the least. Now, the the deeper reality that was going on there is this, that I had put a relationship with another person as of higher priority 
in my life than my relationship with Jesus. And so when that circumstance took place, I was devastated. Uh, I, I was wrecked. And it was in that context that God brought Psalm 34 uh, to me. And uh, Psalm 34 and verse 5 in particular changed my life in that circumstance. I was upset. I was angry. I was downcast. And Psalm 34 verse 5 says this, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And that began to change my heart and my thought process that, that even in my circumstance, that if I look to the Lord, that my face would no longer be this downcast face of anger and frustration, whatever else, but rather that I could be radiant with hope, with joy, with worship. Uh, what happens to you? when the things of this world inevitably fail to deliver to you the promises that they have made? What is it that in reality you worship? Uh, and if you would say this morning, I worship the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, then when does that take place and what does that look like in your daily and weekly life? Hear the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to read uh, Psalm 34 and I'm going to read to us here initially verses 1 through 11, as the Lord speaks to us through his word this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Thus far, God's word. Let's take a moment and ask for his guidance and direction this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it, in it is contained life and hope and promises. And Father, as we are reminded of your goodness and grace that your mercies are new every morning, Father, would it draw our hearts up and back towards you afresh this morning, that with every part of our lives and our worship and our words, Lord, that it would all be unto your praise and your glory, for you indeed are worthy. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Four ways this morning as we walk through Psalm 34 that healthy disciples worship, and we'll use Psalm's word here, ways that healthy disciples worship with radiance. Uh, in their daily lives. Number one is very clear. We see this in verses one through three. Healthy disciples exalt the Lord's name together. Healthy disciples exalt the Lord's name together. Listen again to the substance of verses one through three. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David, the author of this psalm, the psalmist here says, I will praise continually. The question, when should I worship? The answer, all the time, at all times, at 
every opportunity. Well, what time of day? Morning, noon, and night. What day of the week? Pick one. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Well, with who? With yourself, with the Lord, with your family, with your church. Where should I be? In a high school cafeteria, out at the beach, at your job, at school, worship. And if we look to the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says this, give thanks in all circumstances. So worship regardless of what is going on. Uh, And I think that's what knocked my socks off then when I first came to Psalm 34 and continues to affect me today, that, that beyond my issues, beyond my complaints, my frustrations, my inevitable negativity, is an invitation for all of us to live a life characterized by praise, by thankfulness, by constant joy. I think if we're honest this morning and we look at our own hearts, we can all admit that typically that right there is the battle that we we face every day. Are the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart rehearsing my list of complaints or are they rehearsing the flood of reasons that God has been good to me and that I can be grateful and praise him? Will I camp out on negativity about the piddly things that I don't like or turn my eyes to the goodness of heaven? Here's something that I've noticed that I think is is pretty universally true. I see this particularly on missions trips. Believers in Jesus who have the least tend to praise the most. You notice that? What the the reality here is that, that following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is a growing lifestyle of worship. Uh, Because here's the reality: everybody worships someone or something. Believer, non-believer, every single person who has ever drawn breath on the planet worships someone or something. We spend time with, we engage with the things that we love the most. Uh, I don't know if you figured this out yet. Do you know how social media works? Social media has these uh, algorithms and it watches what you click and what you dwell on and it figures out what you love. And then it pushes more and more of that content to you. Whatever you tap on, it's going to give you more of that. So what this morning would Facebook say you love? What would social media say this morning that you worship? Uh, Football season is a few short weeks away. And it will bring us back to that season of life where grown men will become emotionally affected by other grown men running around in tight pants on a field, pushing a little brown ball up and down. And those same men will come in Sunday morning having screamed bloody murder at the TV out of joy and out of the depths of their sadness over a loss and will say, I I don't really get worked up. I don't get emotional. I don't really get into worship per se. I'm not really a singer. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, is what you worship actually worthy of your attention? Boats sink. Cars rust. Houses and appliances, I can confirm, break down. Stock values crash. Food spoils. Bodies break down. Beauty fades. Popularity is here today and gone tomorrow. But Deuteronomy 7 in the Seeing Jesus Together journal said this week, God keeps his promises of steadfast love for 1,000 generations. What do you worship? Who do you put your hope in? David says, I will boast in the Lord. I will worship and give him all the credit because my stuff 
doesn't do it for me, but Jesus does. My stuff won't last, but Jesus' love and affection towards me will remain. And so David says, let us exalt his name together. You see the progression. David begins, and it's just him and the Lord, and he's giving praise to God, but he cannot help but invite others into corporate gathered worship together to praise the name of Jesus for what he has done. People who have experienced God's mercy will inevitably have a desire to gather with other people who have experienced God's mercy and want to worship him for it. People who have experienced God's mercy will inevitably want to invite others out there who have not yet experienced God's mercy to experience that same goodness of God. But let's do it together. Psalm 22 and verse 22 says this, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. So here's just one of many reasons why healthy disciples gather every Sunday morning for worship, to remember, to rehearse the goodness of God in our lives despite circumstances. God is gracious. God is good. God is merciful. God cares for you. And so he is worthy of worship which is why towards the end of the book of Hebrews, we are given this instruction in chapter 10 and verse 25. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of Christ's return. Uh, We know that in the United States, uh, attendance in church in America since the beginning of COVID is down between 20 and 50% in the average church in America. So say the statistics. Uh, By God's grace, that has not been the case here. We want to continue to gather here and worship the Lord. And so here's what that means. Every week we get together in a high school cafeteria. We wheel in our stuff. And this cafeteria becomes a house of the Lord. It becomes a house of praise. These common places become special because God himself joins with us. The promise of where two or more are gathered together, there I am also. And this becomes a sacred space where we exalt the name of the Lord together. As disciples of Jesus, we will gather every Sunday to exalt his name together. And if it's not here, we'll find another place. Number two, healthy disciples radiate the Lord's glory. Here's our our word for today. Healthy disciples radiate the Lord's glory. And we see this in particular in verses four, five, and six, which I'll read to us again. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That's a testimony. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Do you want that this morning? This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I think that we can, every single one of us can identify with having a face of shame, having a a face of guilt, experiencing fear, experiencing trouble of one sort or another. The, The writing of this psalm comes at probably the lowest point in David's life to date. 
Uh, if we check the superscription that begins Psalm 34, so if you look above verse 1 and below the number 34, you'll see a little description there in your Bible, and it'll say something like this. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he, Abimelech, drove him out, and he, David, went away. The context here we have explicitly in 1 Samuel chapter 21 that says that David's best friend, Jonathan, had just been killed in battle. And now David's best friend's dad, King Saul, supposed to be on the same team, but not. King Saul is now hunting down David to kill him. How was your week? That was David's week. David is on the run, he has no weapons, he has no help, and he finds himself in front of a man named Achish, who is the Abimelech, or the king, of a little town called Gath. Uh, Gath is only a famous town for one reason. You know why? There's a guy who comes from Gath, his name is Goliath, rather tall individual. Two chapters earlier, David threw a stone at Goliath's face, and knocked him out, and he's gone. And two chapters later, David has now run for safety to the king of Gath. How was your week? His week is worse. So David, we are told, uh, has to fake being a crazy person and foams at the mouth in order to convince them that he's nuts and to get them to let him go. And in one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, it says, and the spittle ran down his beard. Soon after... In the cave of Adjulam, David writes Psalm 34. See, here's the reality. Praising God, even though David's immediate circumstances had not changed, is the picture that we get here. Deliverance from God does not mean exemption from pain or trouble in this life. But David still says that those who are delivered by God are radiant. How's that work? How is it that David can shine brightly in stark contrast to the darkness of this world? How is it that we can shine brightly even in the darkness and the difficult circumstances that we face? The Bible here is extremely contra, my life is perfect as a Christian all the time, which is utter nonsense. It is also contra, I'll just listen to my prosperity gospel preacher and whatever he tells me to do, if I do it just right, then God will magically bless me with all of the money that I could possibly want. Neither of those realities do we find in Scripture. No, what we see here, David and you and I, our face is radiant because we have Jesus. That's it. My stuff may come and go. My circumstances in life may come and go. But what I need, I have in the person of Jesus. He has come. He is here for me, and he will never, ever leave me. Remember in the Old Testament, Moses, the Bible says his face was radiant when he came down from the mountain after talking with God in Exodus 34. Elijah, after the episode in Mount Carmel, his face is radiant because of what God has done. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the midst of being thrown in a fiery furnace for having faith in God, their faces were radiant, not because of the flames, but because of who God was in their life. Daniel in the lion's den, his face is radiant. Paul and Silas in a Roman prison, in their circumstance of difficulty, their faces are radiant. 
Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. I love this verse, the application. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Doesn't it just put the song in your head? Yeah, that's right. You know what this is? Then you are cool. Newsboys, 1994, 95, 96, 97, all the way to 2022. They're still singing it. Their faces, like ours, can shine with the radiance of God's goodness and that that shine impacts others around us, that they see that we have something that has changed our lives and others can experience it as well. This can be revolutionary in our, in our lives to realize that radiance is not tied to circumstances. Joy is not tied to happiness. It is tied to who God is and knowing him personally. This poor man to know, has come to know God as a savior and as his Lord and, and now understands that, that poverty of whatever type is not a matter of dollars and cents. It's a matter of needing God and that God has come with his riches, his grace. If you want to understand grace, right, we use the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. And as we experience that goodness that we cannot help but radiate it in a life of worship. Number three, healthy disciples worship the Lord personally and submit to his way daily. Healthy disciples worship the Lord personally and submit to his way daily. We see this in verses 7 through 11. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. When it says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, one of the references here is in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6, which is a story about the prophet Elisha. And the prophet Elisha has a servant who one morning goes outside of their house to grab some water. And as he looks around at the mountains around him, he realizes that an entire enemy army of soldiers is around them, surrounding them, ready to bear down and kill them. And he runs inside to tell the prophet Elisha. And Elisha comes out. He looks around and he says, don't worry. He says, the number of people who are for us out there outnumbers those who are against us. And the servant says, well, what do you mean? And the Bible says that God enabled the servant to see with his eyes what Elisha could already see, that there was an army of angels that vastly outnumbered the enemies of God's prophet there, and that God won the battle that day and defended those two men. So it is with you. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. I have a worship leader, Kevin King, who wrote uh, a song several years ago called Fight for Us. And the lyrics go this way. You, speaking of God, you will always fight for us. My strength and my song, you are my salvation. With fury, you have overcome all powers of darkness. Yahweh is a warrior. 
And it says, in you all captives are free, in you oppression shall cease, the blind shall see, the deaf will hear, the dead are raised. And even in my heart, hurt, your sovereign hands at work, what the enemy has meant for me, you turned for good. This is why David can say to us this morning, taste and see that the Lord is good. David has already shown us that a life of worship begins with gathered corporate worship on Sundays, but now he shows us that the worship of a healthy disciple involves daily, personally experiencing God's presence. It's why he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him. As I will tell you, life just goes better when I begin my day spending time in personal worship with God. And it goes worse when I don't. It enables me to lay down my frustrations and take up the joy of the Lord. Am I perfect at it? No. Is God perfect? Yes. I want to challenge you specifically this week. As we look at our hearts together, I want to challenge you this week, beginning tomorrow morning, Monday morning, for the next seven days, will you take some time each morning and taste and see that the Lord is good? Will you open your Bible and hear from God and His Word, and will you talk to Him in prayer and say, I am poor on my own, but what I need is you? Psalm 90 verse 14 says this, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. That's us. That's our situation. Now, who prays that prayer except someone who is not satisfied, right? He's praying that prayer because he's going, I'm not satisfied, but I know that what I need is more of you, and I will begin every morning by drawing near to you. So here's where the rubber meets the road. If you have a Bible reading plan of some sort, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. Keep digging into it. But if you don't, let me specifically encourage you towards the Seeing Jesus Together journal. There is no commentary. It is not there. It is pointing you towards the Word of God and prayer on a daily basis. And what it will walk you through is connecting to God with your heart, surrendering through prayer, listening to the Old and the New Testament Scripture, and then praying through the steps of worship, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication which is a fancy word for asking God for the things that you need. If you don't have a way that you are engaging God, begin now. We're in the middle of Deuteronomy and we just finished the book of John. Jump in with us. One of the beauties of this is that we can all as a congregation be on the same page of Scripture together so that I hope when we see one another throughout the week that we can go, how were you encouraged? This is, this is what I took away. This is what God taught me in his word this morning. David reinforces this idea that I'm putting before you because four times he says this, uh, he invites us to the, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Now, this is a phrase that shows up all over the place, particularly in the Old Testament. So we know from the many occurrences that this does not mean be terrified of God. It does not mean God is big, bad, mean, nasty, can't stand you, and he's going to get you. That's not what it means. What it does mean is joyfully submitting your life to his way. Joyfully submitting your life to his way. Well, how do I do that? 
If you want to know what God's plan or purpose is for your life, go to God's word and listen. If you want to hear from the Lord, go to God's word and listen. And by his word and by his spirit, he desires to lead you. If you have questions of God, then go to him in prayer and ask. If you have reasons to praise, then go to him in prayer and praise him and taste and see that the Lord is good. And when this happens, as we taste and see that the Lord is good, we will inevitably grow up, mature in our faith. Listen to how Peter picks this up in the New Testament. Second Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, like newborn babies, okay, new believers, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What he is saying is the, the grace that saves you is the grace that continues to change you. And in the most loving way, Peter actually fairly kindly says, grow up. Enjoy what God has for you. Listen to him. Talk to him. And as you hear from him, God by his spirit will do in you what you cannot do yourself and you will spiritually mature. Do you find yourself stumbling over the same frustrations, the same sins, being an immature believer? Peter lovingly says, grow up. Move from baby formula to the steak and potatoes of God's word and prayer daily. I think for for most of us as American Christians in particular, this is an area that we struggle, and we inevitably know that we should do devotions. But I think maturity here means this. We, We move from a place of personal worship, devotions, Bible, prayer, whatever you want to call it. We move from a place of, that's something I should do, to, that's something that I need. There's a maturing there. Maybe you're there. But maturity moves us one step further to, that's something I want. I should do that. You know, I I need that. I want that. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good every day, every morning. Healthy disciples of Jesus worship him personally and joyfully submit to his way. Fourth and finally, that undergirds all of the compelling instructions of this psalm. Number four, healthy disciples trust the Lord's redeeming love. This is the final few verses here of this psalm. This is verses 17 through 22. He says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Key verse. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems, buys back the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God is near to the brokenhearted. We see this from the first page of Scripture to the last, but we see it most clearly and most profoundly in that Jesus came out of heaven and came down to us. That Jesus stepped into our pain and stepped into our suffering. If you love someone, you move into and not away from their pain. 
But Jesus didn't just identify and, and draw near to the brokenhearted. No, no, he took it a step further, right? He was willing to be brokenhearted on our behalf. He was willing to suffer the agony of crucifixion and death and separation from his Father God in your place. That's his redeeming love. He suffered and died in order to purchase eternity for you and for me. And so when it comes to verse 20 here, this is a loaded sentence when he says, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This is a direct reference back to Exodus chapter 12. 430 years of Israelites, God's people, in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. And you remember the story well. God sends 10 plagues to move Pharaoh to let his people go. And that 10th and final and worst plague is the angel of death that is sent to kill all of the firstborn. But, but God, God tells Israel, take a lamb and slaughter it and take the blood of the lamb and mark your doorpost so that when the angel of death comes down to bring deserved justice and judgment, it will pass over you. Judgment and justice will not be yours if you are marked by the blood of the lamb. And then it gives us what you might think is this throwaway comment and instruction. Exodus 12, 46 says, don't break any of the bones of the Passover lamb. Don't break its bones. Fast forward. John chapter 19. It's the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. We read it this week in the Seeing Jesus Together journal. We know from history and from the scripture that Roman soldiers would break the legs of the victims of crucifixion to make sure they were good and dead. But not so, Jesus. Why would we get that detail? That Jesus' legs were not broken. Look at John 19, verse 36. These things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. As all all of humanity, every disciple of Jesus, none of us are exempt from hurt. None of us are exempt from suffering in this life because of our sin. But Jesus stepped out of heaven so that you could step in to heaven. Jesus is the great Passover lamb who was sacrificed for you to save you. He was afflicted so that you could be healed. He was enslaved so that you could be made free. He died so that you can live eternally. And bonus for those of us who are in Christ, who have experienced salvation, the Bible tells us explicitly in Romans 8, 28, that even the worst circumstances that take place in your life now, God is using every single one of them for your good and his glory. Sometimes we don't like that, or we, we find it hard to believe. It's the promise of God. Will you see that in a moment? Probably not. Is it absolutely true 100% of the time? Yes. Psalm 34 here is telling us about Jesus the Messiah coming to save us, to do for us what we could not do ourselves 1,000 years before Jesus will come to earth. 
And he makes it clear, we all stand guilty, condemned because of our sin. We deserve God's justice. We deserve his wrath. We deserve to be separated from a holy and a righteous God. The Bible says even here, the wicked will perish and be condemned. But Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation that we deserve has been taken care of because Jesus stood in our place. He was condemned so that we would not have to be. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then let today be the day that you say, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need your salvation and I'm putting my trust in your redeeming love that you would buy me back from the death that I deserve, from the sins that I cannot help but commit. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And if you would say this morning, I am a disciple, I am a follower of Jesus, and, and I, I keep having these ups and downs, well, welcome to the club. It will end one day when Jesus returns to take us home, and we join him in heaven in a place of no more tears, no more sadness, and no more sin. But until that day, he is with you, and we will worship him. Healthy disciples of Jesus, worship with radiance through all circumstances. Amen? Let's take a minute. Let's pray together.